Welcome, everyone. I'm Lee Merriweather, and with me is Todd Orston. We are your co-host for Divorce Team Radio, a show sponsored by the divorce and family law firm of Merriweather and Tharp. Here you'll learn about divorce, family law, and from time to time, even tips on how to save your marriage if it's in the middle of a crisis. If you want to read more about us, you can always check us out online at AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. Welcome back, Todd. Welcome back, Lee. Thank you for having me. After <laughs> after 170 some odd shows, I thought you would have gotten rid of me already, but <laughs> but like a bad <laughs> smell, I'm back. <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking what would be a great idea to talk about today is because uh, we talked about, he had that show called Post-Divorce, uh, you know, things that'll Gosh, what was the name of the show? <laughs> Top ways to ruin your post-divorce life. And, uh, you know, we were focusing on a lot of different things, but I thought it'd be a great idea to focus in on just the financial mistakes, you know, that people make post-divorce and, and you know, because divorce is rough enough on the bank account as it is. And the last thing we want people to do is to make it even worse by doing something not so wise. After divorce is granted. And and we see that. I mean, we because we have clients that we help and do everything we can to make sure that they make good decisions that uh, will put them in a sound financial position post-divorce. But then decisions are made afterwards. And, and we see time and again, you know, people knocking on our door saying, uh, you know, I, I've done some things and I, I financially I'm in a, a difficult spot. And we look at it and it's like, wow, you know, had you know, at that point, it's like, had they just gotten some help? Had they just spoken with somebody to to make sure that the decisions that they are making, the financial decisions are are sound decisions based on their current financial situation, they'd be in a much different spot. Well, Todd, I, I decided that we should get some help too. So <laughs> rather than us talking about it, with us today is Simon Brady. In 2015, after many years working as a currency and equity trader in the financial districts of London and New York, as well as at the United Nations as a financial advisor, Simon Brady decided to create a unique personal finance consulting and investment management firm. His vision was to create a fee-for-service fiduciary personal finance consulting and investment management service specifically aimed at the underserved demographic of younger professionals in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s. Simon is a certified financial planner and a speaker on personal finance topics at conferences, universities, libraries, seminars, workshops, and various private events. He's been quoted and published on national, regional, and local news outlets, articles, blogs, and major websites, and hosts his own personal finance podcast. He's had directorships and board positions in the past, at the Financial Planning Association of New York and at New York Toastmasters. I could go on and on about Simon, but that would take up precious airtime. You can read more about him at angliaadvisors.com. <laughs> I am butchering it. I am sorry, Simon. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, Anglia Advisors, A-N-G-L-I-A Advisors. <laughs> okay. Thank you for fixing You're not, you're not the first person to have that issue. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad that we spent 20 minutes beforehand practicing, <laughs> and you, you see how that worked out. <laughs> uh, oh, well, Simon, I'm glad you came on the show because, uh, I mean, I know that this is something that's important to you, that that uh, 
that I, you, you have a personal story that has driven you here. I don't know if you feel like sharing that story, but you, you have a personal story that's driven you here to help people that have gone through a divorce and, and particularly an underserved community that, and, and I agree with you, it's, it's very underserved that, you know, twenties, thirties and forties, they, they're the ones who often need the most help. And, uh, we're just glad you're here. Yes, very much so. And, uh, the, the personal story that you, uh, referred to was I am a, a child of, of divorce, uh, back in the UK and, um, not just, uh, a regular divorce, a relatively acrimonious one and one that resulted in, you know, pretty substantial financial damage to myself and my brother and my sister, uh, just because of the, uh, uninformed and poor handling, uh, of finances by both my parents following the divorce. And, uh, I wish I could say that was a relatively unusual situation, but as I, uh, work with clients, um, some of whom uh, make decisions partway into our engagement, they're going to get divorced. I see the same stuff playing out over and over again. And um, so that's really why I wanted to go into the area and help people coming out of, uh, out of divorce. So before we get started, because um, you're a certified financial planner, and we're going to focus on post-divorce, so after the divorce is over. But before we uh, came on the show, you had mentioned that you'd listened to some of our past shows, in particular, episode 82 with the certified divorce financial uh, analyst, Bo Varnado. Now, what he does is a little different than what you do. And just so everyone's clear as they're listening, uh, can you explain the difference between the role of a CDFA, that's Certified Divorce Financial Analyst, and CFP, Certified Financial Planner? Sure. And there's nothing, just to be clear, there's nothing to uh, prevent someone from holding uh, both designations. In fact, I believe Bo did. I briefly did hold a CDFA designation, but the difference in the role that the CDFA designation qualifies you to hold um, is that CDFAs work with clients during the divorce process. Um, to a large degree, they work closely with the uh, divorce attorney of that particular spouse. Um, they are there to help the uh, spouse come up with financial statements. They're there to help look at um, statements coming from the other side. They're there to help the divorce attorney strategize about um, potential settlements, dealing with the sort of tax implications of a for instance, a 401k versus just a cash account. I mean, they're not equivalent um, because some have you know, taxes embedded in them. And divorce attorneys are not necessarily financial, personal finance experts. So it's a third party role that comes to an end the day the decree is issued. Now, a CDFA can then put his CFP hat back on and continue with that client working with them. In fact, that's probably a very good idea. Um, I don't find that for forensic work particularly interesting. It's not, doesn't play to my skill sets. I, um, completely understand if somebody's going to use their CD, CDFA as their CFP after the divorce, but I tend to step in once the decree is, um, is signed. Uh, in other words, I don't, I don't get involved in the divorce process. I'm 
immediately. I am working with clients immediately afterwards. All right. Well, let's let's jump in then, because we want to help some people and we want people to be able to get some help. Like we were saying earlier, we we routinely see people who come back after the fact, you know, they need some additional legal help. And financially, they just made poor decisions. They didn't do what they needed to do and, and didn't take the, the steps necessary to protect themselves that they should have. So uh, my question to you is, what's the biggest financial mistake you have seen divorcees make post-divorce? I think it's the tendency that I see very, very often um, to insist on going it alone, um, not bringing in qualified outside help. Um, people coming out of divorce like this are very often uh, emotionally quite raw. Um, it's a very, very different world than the one they've likely experienced over the preceding years. Um, and I think they, they, they conflate this sort of um, strength of going it alone emotionally and what they view as strength of going it alone financially. And the two things are just not... The two things are just not uh, similar at all. Um, people will sometimes turn to well-meaning but completely unqualified family and friends for assistance. The uh, proverbial brother-in-law with the uh, investment advice. Um, and, and sometimes get fooled by the fact that the person works for an accounting firm or as a trader or whatever, that they have the personal finance skills that are required. Um, and others just 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 stubbornly fly by the seat of their pants, mm. and um, you're making you're being asked to make life changing decisions about almost every aspect of your finances at a time when you could be at your lowest emotionally, or at least uh, not near your peak in terms of focus and judgment. And one other thing I will add to that list is that um, relatively recently divorced people can be viewed as very much as fresh meat to the predatory type of advisors who are out there um, who will latch on to them and uh, definitely view them as very, very high commission generation tools, as it were. Simon, I, I don't want to say you're wrong, but one time I took advice from my uncle Carl and I was able to lose three <laughs> times my initial investment. So I, I think sometimes <laughs> the advice out there... All right, am I pouring on the sarcasm a little... Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> when we come back, we'll hear the rest of this story. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know that if you ever wanted to listen to the show live, you can listen at 1 a.m. on Monday mornings on WSB. So you can always check us out there as well. Better than like counting sheep, I guess, right? It's, uh, <laughs> That's right. You can turn on the show and, and we'll... We'll help you fall asleep. There you go. I'll talk very softly. <laughs> Welcome back to Divorce Team Radio. With me is Todd. I am Lee. And we are talking today with Simon Brady. He is a certified financial planner. And we are talking about the financial mistakes that that he has seen people make following a divorce. If you want to read more about us, you can check us out at atlantadivorceteam.com. And by the way, you can see a transcript of the show at divorceteamradio.com. All right, Simon, bef when we left off, I'm going to just totally ignore Uncle Carl for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I do that constantly, so it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, we were talking about the last question we were talking about, you know, people being 
they, they want to go at it alone so they don't get financial, they don't get the help of a certified financial planner. And then they wind up making some horrible mistakes. Um, what would you say? Because I do know one of the objection is that I've heard is, well, I, you know, I don't have a whole lot or there's at least a feeling that they don't have a whole lot when they come out of the divorce. Um, I mean, they have they have assets. They just are scared. And they said, well, I just, if I go to a certified financial planner, their fees are going to eat up everything and I'll have even less. So there's that fear going on. What would you say to that person? I, I mean, it's a legitimate fear. Um, the traditional reputation of financial advisors is probably uh, not uh, on a par with, shall we say, uh, you know, nurses and firefighters. But uh, I think it is, this is why it's important to do some research on the uh, financial planner that you do pick. Uh, I alluded earlier to uh, predatory commission-based advisors, and they should be really uh, avoided at all costs. But even within the sort of uh, more fiduciary financial planning community, um, some people, some planners will put down a, a marker of an amount of money that you need to pay them before they'll start talking to you. I personally um, work on an hourly basis. So I will sit down with the client in advance and say, look, here's what we want to achieve. We'll, we'll build in the fact that we're going to find things out along the way together. Um, but they will know in advance and retain control of how much they spend. So it, it really is an hourly. Actually, it's like an old time lawyer. Uh, here's my hourly rate. Here's the amount of hours that I think we're going to work. Um, I'll work with you. I'll send you an invoice at the end of each month. Um, but at some point, we're going to come out of this and you're going to be exactly where you want to be. But the, the important thing is to figure out exactly how the financial planner charges. Uh, and I think in this particular case, hourly is the, is, is the best way to go. The client can retain control. I will say I've seen um, a number of uh, going to your point that there are a lot of certified financial planners out there that are great, but they have like a minimum net worth requirement of, like, you know, say a million dollars. Yeah. And they won't even see you if you don't have that much. So the, there, there is a huge underserved community that with the right help could easily get to that. Well, not easily, but can get to that over time. The uh, one one million dollar asset mark and above yeah and and it's not the, the people who don't have a million it's not as if the people who don't have a million dollars don't need help i mean goodness sake right they're, they're the ones that need help as much if not more than anyone else i i do manage assets for clients if they want me to i don't impose it and i don't have any minimum well, talking about let's let's keep building on getting the help that you need i mean uh, you had talked earlier about your family's divorce uh, your parents' divorce being very acrimonious, and we, Lee and I, and every divorce attorney out there, we've experienced that as well. Uh, but not all of them are, and there are a lot of cases where everything is is done very amicably, and the parties just agree they don't want to be married anymore; they want to go their separate ways. In some of those cases, sometimes we'll see going into it that one party really controlled the finances; they had a, a much greater knowledge of what their financial situation was. And sometimes we even see that, that, you know, there's at least some kind of a friendly relationship going on post divorce. So I guess my question to you would be in, in some cases, 
we see that there is this continuation of relying on the other spouse for advice on their finances. What would you say to that person who's relying on an ex-spouse for financial advice? Uh, three words, absolutely do not. Uh, I think this is almost non-negotiable that you cannot do this. If you are unable to maintain uh, enough trust to stay in a marriage, then I think uh, the level of trust that's required for people to remain involved in their finances of uh, somebody they know is, 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 is even higher than that. So please, please don't do that. Um, and that doesn't just go for the ex-spouse. It goes for the ex-spouse's friends and the accountant that you used to use when you were married and the banker that you used to use when you were married. Or um, you need to absolutely nuke it and start again when it comes to uh, the people that you rely on for financial advice and the, uh, and the prof professionals that surround them. Um, it, it just, it, it cannot lead to anything, in my view, it cannot lead to anything uh, other than a problem. I mean, at the very least, you've got conflicts of interest going on, and at the worst, you could have complete manipulation, financial manipulation happening in, 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 in some cases. I think that's some great advice, and, uh, and even assuming, let's say, you've got, let's say the husband in this hypothetical, I'm going to give you a hypothetical, where the husband... I mean, he's he he has a good heart, and he doesn't want to see his ex-wife suffer, and so he starts off giving some great advice. But human nature is going to kick in, and so while he may have no animosity towards his ex-wife, he also has no motivation uh, to to see her succeed. And so he may say, she may ask him a question. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, just 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 do this, and he doesn't understand her full situation. Whereas as a Simon is someone like yourself. You, that's your job. You're getting paid to make sure she succeeds. So there is a financial motivation for, I mean, there's a personal motivation, obviously. Most people want to do a great job for people, but there's also that financial motivation that, hey, I want to see you succeed because when my clients succeed, they refer me more work. Um, but that, that relat, uh, motivation doesn't exist with the ex-spouse. So uh, going, you know, emotionally, you may want to still talk to that person and engage with them. But going back to what you said earlier, you know, this is not a place time when you should be making these financial decisions because you are too subject to your emotions. So um, let's talk about uh, another aspect. So during the course of a divorce, we often have had clients concerned about getting enough cash out of the divorce to buy a new home. Like as soon as the divorce is over, I'm going to buy a new house. What are your thoughts? Because that's used for many people. That's their largest asset is the equity in their home. What are your thoughts on buying a new home right after the divorce? I mean, obviously, every case is different. But speaking very broadly, um, I think any kind of uh, knee-jerk reaction in the short in the period shortly after a divorce is completed uh, can be dangerous. But something as enormously uh, financially impactful as buying a new home, um, I don't think that decision should be made when there's any kind of uh, either emotional baggage remaining or, frankly, just a, a simple lack of knowledge of what the next few years are going to look like 
um, are you what, what kind of house are you going to buy? Are you going to buy one just for you? Or what if you meet someone two years later or, you know, then you have the friction of maybe having and that person has kids from a previous marriage or something like that. Um, then you have all the friction of having to sell that new home uh, and buy another one. Maybe it's not big enough to have that person come in with you. Um, I think the reason people make this mistake is because very often they've been living in an owned property uh, for uh, a period of time leading into the divorce and they are impacted by the societal pressure that says owning a home is a good idea, renting a home is for losers. Mm. And it's just, you know, I don't know where this comes from. I blame parents for that. But this idea that, uh, you know, the American dream, blah, 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 blah. Um, it just doesn't make sense to make a massive financial decision like that uh, immediately afterwards. Normally, there's cash available. Rent for a couple of years. See how your life shapes up professionally. Maybe you get another job and you have to move to a different part of the Anything can happen um, and probably will in the years following divorce. So rent give yourself the flexibility and then and then work with a financial planner to see what kind of house you can afford down the line when you know what your life looks like. And, and that's my biggest takeaway from what you just were talking about, because if it's part of a comprehensive plan and you've worked this out with your advisor, purchasing real estate might be part of that plan. But again, it's part of a plan, not a knee jerk reaction. Right, right. When we come back, Simon, I want to talk about your thoughts on retail therapy. Hey, everyone, you're listening to our podcast, but you have alternatives. You have choices. You can listen to us uh, live also at 1 a.m. on Monday morning on WSB. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you could go rate us in iTunes or wherever you may be listening to it. Give us a five-star rating and tell us why you like the show. Welcome back, everyone. This is Lee and Todd, and you're listening to Divorce Team Radio, a show sponsored by the Divorce and Family Law Firm of Meriwether and Tharp. If you want to read more about us, you can always check us out online at AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. Well, today we're talking about making sure you make wise financial decisions after your divorce. And rather than just relying on us, that may not be the best idea. We brought Simon Brady on. He is a certified financial planner. Uh, and if you want to read more about them, you can always check them out online at Simon, what's your website? Uh, AngliaAdvisors.com. A-N-G-L-I-A Advisors.com. Excellent. Thanks for saying that. So I didn't mess it up again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you missed the last uh, segment, we, we were talking about, uh, when, you know, what were your, you were answering the question of what were your thoughts on buying a new home right after a divorce? And, um, and then Todd followed that up and, and I just want to add one more thing to it because I've seen people rush, just like you talked about people, there is this pressure to own a home rather than rent. And I've seen two places, two specific areas where it creates a problem when you rush to buy a house as soon as the divorce over one here in Georgia, when, um, when someone is considered to be the quote primary physical custodian, they can move to another county, um, and that may not justify going back to court for. So you may buy a house like in the neighborhood over from your ex-spouse, 
so you could be close to your children and then your ex-spouse, either they get transferred or they move right away because they're like, hey, I got a divorce because I don't want to see you. And then they move to another county that is like 30 miles away. And in traffic, that's a one or two hours away. And now you're stuck in this house and you can't move as well um, without serious financial uh hardship of, of selling that house that you had just moved into. And the other area I see people making mistakes is, let's say you have someone who, you know, they weren't the ones who were responsible for the upkeep on the house and they immediately rush out and buy a house and then they buy and they buy it and they, they're not paying that close attention. And then the air conditioner breaks and then the water heater breaks and they didn't buy a home warranty. And next thing you know, they're house poor because they have all these repairs on this house, whereas if they just rented, the landlord would have been responsible for all those repairs. And so uh, I just wanted to add that on to what you said, because I I'm just glad to it's nice to hear from a, a, someone from a different perspective um, have come to the same conclusion that we do, that it may not be a wise decision to rush out and buy a house. It's, it should be part of a very calculated plan. And that's the advantage of hiring you, Simon, that you'll help them make that, that decision to avoid a costly financial mistake. Yeah, very much so. And those are two very, very, very valid points that, uh, that you bring up. So in a recent show, we discussed the top ways, it was episode 174, the top ways to ruin your post-divorce life. And one of them involved going out and spending a significant amount of money immediately following your divorce and how that can create problems as it relates to your ex-spouse, like pulling you back in court. What are your thoughts on um, when someone is, let's say they've come into, they're get the, they've gotten a divorce, maybe they got a large sum of money from the sale of something, and so they have a, lar they have a lump sum of money and they just want to go out and spend it. What are your thoughts on that? What would you tell that person? I mean, I approach it, obviously, not being a... a a legal professional, I'm, I approach this less um, from what it might do to an ex-spouse or calling stuff back into court and everything else. I look at this more uh, purely as a uh, personal finance cash flow issue. Um, very often in divorces, even in divorces among people who are not uh, particularly uh, high net worth individuals or anything else, uh, a significant lump sum arrives on one side or other of the ledger, right, following the divorce decree. Um, it can be in the form of cash, it can be shares, it can be the quadro from a, a qualified plan. Um, but what people tend to forget is that this lump sum is not being deposited for you to spend to make yourself feel better. Um, the retail therapy that you uh, you mentioned earlier. There's a very specific reason, and this is you know um, people who've used professionals like Bo uh, have worked together, come up with a number, and this lump sum that has arrived with you is a number that is calculated to help you through the rest of your life uh, and help you adjust to life without um, without your spouse. Uh, and particularly dealing with people in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s. I mean, these people have decades and decades and decades of life ahead of them. And that lump sum is a calculated amount. If you go and start blowing it to make yourself feel better, which I have seen, and I guess you have too, 
um, there's a tendency to overspend. Uh, there's also a tendency to not really understand the consequences of spending, maybe withdrawing money from a 401k or an IRA and incurring unnecessary taxes and penalties. Um, selling shares when perhaps you shouldn't do, not just viewing a, a share asset the same as a cash asset. Um, it can be related to the snap real estate decision. If Once you've bought the house, you need to get some furniture and you need to get a nice 50-inch TV and the grill for the guard, all, all that, all that <laughs> stuff. And lo and behold, there's a few hundred thousand dollars sitting in your bank account and off you go. But that few hundred thousand dollars was very specifically calculated to get you through the rest of your life. Um, so, uh, again, it, this is a, a, a self-serving uh, reason why a dispassionate yet empathetic financial planner specializing in this area can help. And one of the first things I would do with a client is produce what I call an asset map, which would create uh, on a, a one piece of paper a very visual map of all your assets and uh, what they, what each account is worth and all your liabilities and everything else. And that's our starting point. We sit down and stare at that for a long time uh, and start moving forward from there. One of the things years ago, so this is probably 15 years ago, was eye-opening for me was when someone put together a spreadsheet breaking down, just highlighting, um, oh, but gosh, it may have been longer, 15 years ago, but highlighting compound interest and how it works. And just showing how you could have someone um, contribute to a retirement account, like starting when they're really young, like maybe 15 and go to 30 and uh, like a certain amount every month and then not touch it. And they still have the potential to make more money than when who, someone who started at 30 and put the same money in <laughs> over the course of even a longer time. Just because compound interest is so powerful and um, it, it, you quickly lose sight of that. And, and but that's where you have to that that that's where the non-emotional component comes in. You have to slow down. You have to. OK, if I don't touch this money, if I properly invest it, it will grow over time. And this two hundred thousand could easily be worth four, depending on your age, could be worth four hundred, six hundred or more um, in the future when it's time for you to retire. And, and and one thing I'll add to that is that I think the assumption of uh, the decree is that you will handle it like that, meaning that if you mm -hmm. don't, then you can, you're going to run into you know significant problems later on. I mean, the size of that lump sum, what I'm trying to get across to people, the size of that lump sum kind of assumes that you that you treat it well. Uh, if you mm -hmm. fail to do so, you're, 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 you're absolutely making problems for yourself in the future. I mean, a reality is, though, people come out of a divorce, they have expenses, even if they're not being completely irresponsible, even if they're not running out and getting a house or, or some other big, you know, expenditure, you know, uh, expenses come up, they have to spend money. But I mean, I'm assuming part of your job also is to sit there and say, not all assets are created equal. You know, it is smarter to take from this asset rather than that asset, meaning the penalties might be different over here than there. Uh, and all of that is designed to hopefully make sure that down the road, whether down the road means 
a year or five years or 20 years uh, that you've got a, a, a deeper pot uh, of, of assets that you can use in your retirement? Yes. Uh, again, uh, when I kind of build the client's financial savings investment environment or ecosystem or however you want to call it, uh, I will create buckets and I'll make it very easy for them to understand. If you need to draw money, this is the first place you draw from. You do not draw from this place. Number two is this one. Number three is this one. And the client will look at all these um, in a, in, a, in a way that makes sense to them. Um, people are very visual about these kind of things and I will create, um, uh, as I say, buckets that will serve different purposes. So that almost every dollar that comes... Hey, Simon, Simon, I got to interrupt you real quick. We're, we're up on a, a break, uh, but when we come back, we'll continue to go through the mistakes that you've seen divorcees make. just wanted to let you know that if you ever wanted to listen to the show live, you can listen at 1 a.m. on Monday mornings on WSB. So you can always check us out there as well. Better than like counting sheep, I guess. Right. It's, uh, <laughs> That's right. You can turn on the show and, and we'll, we'll help you fall asleep. There you go. I'll talk very softly. Welcome back, everyone. This is Lee and Todd, and you're listening to the Divorce Team Radio, a show sponsored by the divorce and family law firm of Meriwether and Tharp. If you want to read more about us, you can always check us out online at atlantadivorceteam.com. And if you want to learn, hear more about this show, if you want to read transcripts from this show, you can always go back to divorceteamradio.com. Well, today we have Simon Brady on the line with us, and we are talking about the top some top financial mistakes that people make when they get out of their divorce. And we're going over this because we don't, if you've just gone through a divorce, we don't want you to make these mistakes. And uh, I did want to, we touched on, or Simon just talked, touched on, uh, you know, retail therapy. You know, there's this tendency, if you've gone through a very emotional, trying divorce, you get out. And next thing you know, you're, you find yourself spending all kinds of money. Um, sometimes it's people, I mean, it literally, I, I don't know if there's a psychological designation for it, but I have just seen people go on spending sprees after their divorce. I, I, and I was going to share this one story. I represented a, a gentleman and, um, as a result of the divorce, his wife received about a half a million dollars. And subsequent to that, she received another half a million dollars roughly from an inheritance. So these are, uh, I'm rounding right now. But uh, she received, and in, in the, over the course of a year or two years, about a million dollars. And four, I think it was either four years later, maybe four years later, she was bringing him back to court for a modification of alimony. By the way, the alimony had already expired. And a modification of child support because she had spent it all gone. One million dollars gone. Um, needless to say, the judge didn't have too much sympathy for her, but it, it is, if you allow emotion to run away, you can go through all that money. Uh, and Simon, I bet you would love to have had a million dollars to work with for that client. <laughs> you know, a million dollars, I'm, you didn't mention how old she is, but basically you could set someone up for, you know, 
a, a life with that money, uh, put it to good use and um, really, really make a big difference in someone's life. But there's an example of somebody who didn't bring in a third party. And yeah, oh, it was so sad at so many levels. <clears throat> and unfortunately, like like your story, her their son was caught in the middle of all that. Yeah. It, it, it goes way beyond just the uh, just the two individuals. Yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, I think we could all probably talk about the many mistakes that we have seen people make, unfortunately, because usually they don't have the advice they need to avoid those mistakes. But uh, let me pose this as a question. What are some other mistakes that, you know, you see recent divorcees make following the granting of a divorce? I think, I mean, obviously coming out of a divorce is, 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 can be a very, uh, can be a very important time for somebody. They are going to, uh, have a sense of relief. The, um, roadblock they've seen ahead of them is, is no longer there. And there's a temptation to sort of, uh, just relax and take it all in and, and, um, not be stressed anymore. But what that can lead to is uh, a failure to deal with or to delay by by far more than is uh, advisable changes that need to be made quickly to items like estate planning, life insurance, education funding. Um, the decree a decree may uh, mandate some certain levels of compliance. One may impose. On one party, the uh, requirement to get some level of life insurance, um, some adjustments to a will, but these are all going to be relatively bare bones. What people tend to fail to do when they're left to their own devices is let things like changing that will, uh, and not just changing it, kind of completely starting it again, um, fall through the cracks. Uh, Life insurance, is the amount now correct given this complete change in your life? Are the beneficiary names correct? I'm sure we've all heard horror stories about people who have failed to change life insurance beneficiaries following a divorce and the uh, old spouse gets all the money, not the new one. Um, education funding for children and everything else. There's a temptation to leave these things. And if you're working with um, a financial professional, uh, he or she will shall we say, nudge you uh, at the appropriate times to say, okay, we need to get this will dealt with. We need to do a, a new life insurance analysis, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say the big mistake is just not not dealing with these things because you've just come out of something so stressful and so difficult that you, you sort of want to take a breath. But that breath uh, can sometimes go on for too long. Uh, these changes need to be made pretty, pretty uh, rapidly afterwards. I think I actually talked to someone last year that um, after the divorce, the the life insurance was supposed to name it was supposed to name the ex spouse as the recipient uh, for so long as there was a child support or alimony obligation. Well, that obligation ran out, and the person never changed the life insurance, and then they passed away. Um, and they weren't that old; they were in their fifties. They passed away, and ex spouse got all the money. The courts will, from my experience, and you're, you're probably more experienced than me in this, but my, the courts will never uh, override what's written on the life insurance policy. You, I know somebody who went to the court and said, but look, here's my will. It clearly shows that I want everything to go to my new spouse. And the court just basically said, well, 
If that's the case, you should have put your new spouse's name on the insurance policy and gave and they gave it all to the previous spouse. Yeah, I, I, um, they, they enforce the policies. I mean, if you don't change it, that's that's on you. And um, yeah, and the the, the person re- had been remarried, and the new the new wife didn't get any of it. So um, yeah, so the excellent point on sitting down and paying attention to these documents. And um, I think you had mentioned the four, did you you also mentioned checking the beneficiaries of retirement accounts too? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, you know, again, horror stories all over the place. Brokerage accounts um, have carried beneficiaries as well. Uh, you know, there are a lot. But but someone like myself, some a financial planner, will go through document by document uh, and say, "Okay, who's the beneficiary on this? Is this still what you want?" Uh, chances are you're going to want to make major changes to all your beneficiaries. Uh, let's get that done. And let's get it done quick because we all know that we, 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 we have no idea what happens and when it happens. So let's get that done quickly. I find people with their own devices don't, don't do that. Yeah, you become their accountability partner in a, in a way. Yes. Absolutely. Because I have absolutely seen people procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate. And if, you, if you've hired a CPA, I mean, a CPA, a CFP, um, now you're in that role of, look, let, let's get this done. Let's make this happen. Yep. Something happened recently um, that, I, that I'm aware of where uh, they didn't change an address on stocks. And the stocks were issuing checks to the old address and for some reason they never forwarded so they got returned back to the company and uh, eventually that company had to forward that money to the state uh, under the state's escheat mm-hmm. law which is a very nuanced area of the law that a lot of people don't know about it also applies to life insurance policies that uh, that inf- that that money if they can't find if the person passes away and they can't find the person or whatnot, that money actually goes to the state. Yep. Now, you don't lose that money. That's the advantages in this scenario I was explaining. There was thousands of dollars that were um, at the state level. And so, but they had to go fill out a form and say, hey, I was the, I am the owner of the stock and I had moved. And for whatever reason, my change of address never, never afforded, but they never went to the main company uh, and there was a company managing the stock payouts, and I don't remember the name of the company, but they never updated. The, the, they discovered this when they sat down to do some estate planning. And that's when they discovered, hey, we haven't gotten these checks. So um, that, again, going back to what, you're do, what you do, you sit down and go, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And sometimes it sparks a, oh, I completely forgot about that. There is a website, actually, for your listeners, um, missingmoney.com. It sounds like a scam, but it's actually not. All the states have to essentially aggregate uh, these things, life insurance payouts or, you know, Verizon checks that got lost in the mail and all this sort of stuff. If you go to missingmoney.com, put your name in and your state, um, it will actually bring up what, uh, what is outstanding and you can make the claim right there and then on the website. It's a horrible looking website. It looks like a complete <laughs> awful scam, but it's actually genuine. I had a client find $10,000 on there last year. Wow. 
Hey, Simon, real quick, we only have a, a few seconds left. Sure. If people want to, re- if they're interested in retaining you for your services, what's the best way for them to find you? Just go to angliaadvisors.com, uh, A-N-G-L-I-A advisors.com. Uh, click on the contact page and then all the different ways to reach me are on there, phone, email, etc. Awesome. Simon, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been uh, it's been great.